Kia ora, I'm Emil Bonovan, and today on The Detail, Growing Pains. A satellite city in South Auckland that could house 500,000 people is being proposed as a way to deal with the housing shortage. Causing pain for growers. Over the last decade, more than 200 produce growers in Auckland have closed up shop as more rural land has been rezoned to residential to keep up with the demand for housing. We only have so much land here in Aotearoa and we don't have enough houses. But we also grow a lot of food here and it's a big export earner. That leaves us with a decision to make and earlier this month the government appeared to nail its colours to the mast. A newly released national policy statement now requires councils to identify, map and manage productive land to protect it from inappropriate housing development. But land can still be rezoned and built on under some circumstances. So what does this new national policy statement actually mean? What's the justification for it? What is highly productive land? And why do the people who grow our food consider it of utmost importance to protect? Sam Carrick is a soil scientist at Manaki Fenwa Landcare Research. I began by asking him to explain a bit about the fundamental equation here, that when it comes to growing food, not all soil is created equal. Oh, yes, absolutely. And um, in New Zealand's renowned for the variety in our, um, of our soil types. In a national soil survey, we've kind of covered about half of the, the country so far and identified 5,500 different soil types. And how we distinguish different soil types in, in terms of productivity is related to things like what's, what's the stone content in the soil, uh, how does the soil drain, uh, what's the texture between, say, a sandy loam, like what we see at the beach in the sand dunes, versus a heavy clay and old weathered soil, um, the density of the subsoil, so how easy is it for roots to be able to grow down into the soil, and how much water can a soil hold versus you know, a stony soil, you, you need to apply a lot of irrigation versus a nice, deep, highly productive soil, which has a lot of storage capacity within it. Um, so that's yeah. So those those are some of the aspects which come into what makes one one soil quite different to another, and what why some soils would be classified as highly productive versus some wouldn't be classified. Well, yeah, because I was actually thinking to myself, what soil made of? Our soils um, fundamentally, there's kind of three major elements, I guess you know, components you'd have in a soil. One is what we call mineral material, so that's the material that's coming down from the weathering of rocks. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that varies depending where you are in New Zealand with we've got so around Auckland that those Pukekohe soils is a lot of um, we've got basalt volcanoes up there uh-huh. so they produce they weather to produce certain types of soils and, and they're quite naturally inherently fertile themselves and but they also have some of that really good resilient structure if you're down other parts of New Zealand soils formed from limestone uh-huh. uh, soils formed from a lot of our we've got a lot of what we call grey wacky in the, in the South Island here uh, if you're in the central North Island, a lot of it's come from um, what we call tephra or volcanic ash from the eruptions. Mm-hmm. And so that's the kind of, I guess you could call it the the building frame of a soil, is, is that kind of that what we call mineral material. And then you have the organic matter inputs. So that's the, you know, there's a bit a lot of talk around globally around soil carbon and maintaining soil carbon. So that's, that's the top soil that we're really well used to using and we often work with them. It's really rich in organic matter. And so it's, and that's where we can have a lot of input in building that up and maintaining that. And then part of that wrapped up to the soil, which makes it alive, why it's called soil and not dirt, 
is the um, the biological life within a soil. Okay. And um, so the soils, you know, they're some of the that's the richest areas of biodiversity uh, in, in the world are in, within the soil. Maintaining that biological kind of vitality, I guess you call it, is a really crucial kind of component. And, and I mean, in terms of that, you know, different different soils and different climates lend themselves to different sorts of things. I was doing a bit of reading about food production, international food production a little while ago. A huge amount of the world's coffee is grown in Brazil. A huge amount of wheat is grown in Ukraine. Like, these are sort of the world's bread baskets, and a lot of that comes down to soil and climate, right? Oh, absolutely, exactly. And we've got the classic story that New Zealand contributes towards that picture is um, in terms of seed production, uh, there's around 60% of the world's radish seed, 40% of the carrot seed, 50% of the white clover seed is, is actually um, produced by New Zealand no. and supplied out of New Zealand. Really? Oh, yeah, no, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's why um, you know, uh, Canterbury as such is, is, is world-renowned for that. We grow a variety of seeds, um, 300 hectares uh, of all sorts. So I'm contracted by Malt Euro to grow their certified seed so the resulting harvested seed is then on-sold to other farmers to plant for the, the malt for beer. And so that's why the, and it's related to the, the climate here. It's related to the soils that we have. We, we're very lucky in New Zealand. We have some internationally you know, top soils. And, and, and the other, obviously the fundamental thing is, is, the, is the farmers that we have and the skill level that they do have. And then within New Zealand for particular crops, these different regions are much more renowned or grow a lot more different types of food so you know if you're looking at fruit for example uh, apples hawks bay and tasman are big you know contributors towards that mm-hmm. uh avocados bay are plenty in northland mm-hmm. um, a lot of our summer fruit most people you know we all like our peaches our cherries um nectarines uh, that's you know otago central otago so even within new zealand there's these various food bowls which are really crucial for us to be able to produce you know the i suppose the range of foods that we want as well as um, support our, our export industry. Indeed, uh, I didn't actually realise this until uh, I got one of your emails when we were talking about this interview, but we actually we hold a, a world record for uh, yield of a particular crop that's held by a farm in Canterbury, is that right? Yes, yes, yeah. Um, and he actually broke his own, own own record to create the new world record. So that's yeah, just, just down the, the road here from Lincoln, actually. Um, and yeah, it's, that's the world record. Wheat Eric Watson has farmed here for over 20 years. Oh, this would be a pinnacle. <laughs> this, would be a, this would be a real high. The record wheat crop is staggering 16.791 tonnes per hectare, beating the previous record of 16.5 tonnes held in the UK. Now it's back here again, which is very good for our arable industry because we're quite a small industry. Um, so that's, that's great. And we did previously, it's just been broken a, a couple of years back, but the barley record as well. So the world record for barley is another one that we've held. It kind of reflects, you know, just how productive New Zealand land, climate and farmers are. So we're going to be talking about the productivity of land, high, highly productive land or high productivity land. At a base level, if you're explaining this to the man on the street, what does that term mean, highly productive land? At its essence, it's... Land that has the potential to grow a range of crops. So we call them versatile. Another term we use is their versatility. So they have the ability to grow vegetable crops. They have a, you know, the ability to support um, you know, dairy, dairy pasture, dairy farming. They have the ability to support 
uh, algal cropping. Um, you know, so the wheat we just talked about, all the seed production we talked about. So those those soils which we are saying are the highly productive ones are the ones that have the ability, they have, there's, there's options around them. So they have the ability to grow different types of crops. They also require um, like less inputs and to grow to grow a similar amount of food. Uh, so the nice, generally they are deep soils, um, so they don't have a, um, a huge stone content. Mm-hmm. They generally have don't have a very dense subsoil. We've got quite a few soils in New Zealand that have quite compact uh, subsoil pans is, is the term that we use, and that restricts both water movement but also the ability of um, plants and their plant roots to kind of like penetrate down deep into the soil. And because when we're talking about food production, we're, we're looking, you know, down to at least a meter depth is is the, the the area of the soil that actually is really contributing towards you know the performance of a different crop. And so, how much of the country is actually highly productive land? At the high level, so at a national level, the, the rule of thumb is around 14% of, of, of New Zealanders classified as highly productive land. But within that, there's different classes. So we, we have a classification, a land classification system in New Zealand called the Land Use Capability Classification System. Uh-huh. And that's been around since about the 70s and 80s. And we've mapped all of New Zealand. And that has eight classes, classes one to class, to class eight. Class eight is our mountain lands, and a lot of that's in conservation. Class one is our elite soils, and there's only about 1% of New Zealand, the class one soils. So the highly productive land that we're talking about are classes one, two, and three, and those are the, that's the land that has multiple use potential for a range of different crops. And so there's about 14% of that, of, of New Zealand is classes one, two, and three. If you looked at class one, there's 1%. Class uh, two, there's around 4%, and class three, there's about 9%. So it's, you know, um, obviously... Class one is the most rare. And the other part that fits into that mix is depending on where they sit within New Zealand, there's a range of different soils and, and, and kind of climate combinations. And so some combinations are much rarer than others than the classic one we, we probably all heard of is the brilliant soils we have around Pukekohe and the Pukekohe kind of food hub. And that's a combination of a unique soil type and a unique climate that makes them so special. Pukekohe is well known for its volcanic soils and uh, the range of crops that it grows, probably most known for potatoes, but there are a number of other very important crops. This is a very key area for onions, brassicas, greenhouse crops, pumpkins, kiwi fruit. High productivity land, does that affect the amount of food that you are producing or does it affect the quality of food that you're producing or is it is it really down to that versatility element, the, the, the idea that you can be sort of, you can almost be dexterous, right? Like you can pivot what you want to grow according to what the environment is kind of like in the sort of mid to long term. Yeah, so there's probably two parts to that question. I'll probably, or maybe I'll address the last part because that's where we were there. And yeah, certainly in terms of the long term, that versatility is, is the key component. And because markets change, the world might not want our radish seed anymore. You know, there's, there's another crop which is really important, or carrots, for example. I'd, I'd say the world will still want a lot of carrots, so we'll still be able to contribute a lot to that. But you know, kiwi fruit, for example, has been a huge export. It's a, you know, our, our biggest kind of fruit export crop for New Zealand. Latest figures from Statistics New Zealand confirm record exports of kiwi fruit. Not only that, the fruit was the best-performing sector in April. And 
we've had the flexibility to be able to adapt and grow the kiwi fruit market. Mm. Um, but there's a lot of other horticultural crops which are, are doing really well. You know, over the last 10 years, our horticultural exports have gone up around 60%, I think, when you when you look at the numbers. And a key part of that is, is the ability to have these soils which have the flexibility that we can grow these different crops on. And this is where climate change starts to come into play. The soils, we know that climate's changing, the growing seasons will change in different parts of New Zealand. It might be that the kiwi fruit market and um, kiwi fruit region in, in 50 years' time might be different to where it's, it's currently concentrated in the Bay of Plenty, but it could, because of climate, you know, move somewhere else. And so having those those soils in those different parts of New Zealand gives us that flexibility to be able to adapt to both market demands but also climate, climate demands. I want to talk a bit about the past two decades. New Zealand's population has increased substantially over the past two decades. It has put drastic pressure on housing and many of our cities have tended to build outwards rather than upwards. Has this had an effect on our highly productive land? Yes, yes. So we did some work for the National State of the Environment Report in 2021 was when it was published, Our Land 2021. The report paints a stark picture of the environment under relentless pressure with urban sprawl and dairy intensification swallowing up productive food growing land. And the topic we looked at there is it's called land fragmentation. And so what's that, what that is picking up is the breaking up of land into smaller parcels. And so as, as land gets fragmented, they, we get um, smaller blocks of land with more houses on them. And New Zealand's had a big impact on that. And so to give you some kind of numbers on that line. Um, over that, we, we look back to 2002, so you know, approximately 20 years over these last two decades, mm. there's around 35,000 hectares of highly productive land. This is the, you know, the top land that we're talking about here that has moved into urban and rural residential use. The area of highly productive land lost to housing increased by 54% between 2002 and 2019. Around a third of the two highest classes of productive land across the hunt country have already been or will soon be developed. I'm born and raised in Pukekaui and over the 50 years I've been here um, I've witnessed the urban creep um, and it's intensified in the last 15 years seen vast tracts of land lost to housing to fill the housing short shortages. The other thing that's gone on alongside of that has been the next size up, I suppose, of the land parcels, the ones often using we use the term lifestyle blocks, um, but they're, they're small parcels with, with a house on them. And there's about 170,000 hectares of our highly productive land now that falls into that kind of you know, category, that class. And that was, you know, again, over that, since 2002, there's around 60, you know, that has increased by about 64,000 hectares. So that's, again, a 59% increase. So these are substantial increases. So there's been a really rapid I suppose, expansion and, and um, impact onto these, you know, the highly productive land, which we talked about, is so valuable for so many reasons. That's within the context that we don't actually have that much land within New Zealand. It's, I think it's really important that we recognise, you know, again, we're a few small islands in the bottom of the Pacific. A lot of it is mountains and, and kind of hill country. So, you know, you're looking around 10 million hectares of New Zealand is kind of what we deem conservation land, so either mountain or conservation land. So there's a lot of New Zealand is not suitable for you know the range of crops and, and um, vegetable production, horticultural production, dairy production that we want to do, even housing. So they're all competing on top of each other. 
And so there is a real need that we do manage that a lot better because it's, it is a finite, re- finite resource. There is no plan B. We have the land that we have in New Zealand and we have the soils that we have. Stony soils won't turn into nice, deep, free-draining soils yeah. any time soon within a human lifetime. And that's what the, I suppose the national policy statement is aimed at looking at is can we be a bit more smarter in our decision-making and our planning where in preference we'd use the, the non-highly productive land first um, rather than you, you using the, the highly productive land um, for you know in terms of urban use. A newly released national policy statement now requires councils to identify, map and manage productive land to protect it from inappropriate urban use. Oh, it's a triumph. We've been asking for something like this for many, many years. Well, that, that segues us quite nicely into the national policy statement. We haven't talked about it yet. So can you explain in as accessible language as you possibly can, what is this national policy statement? What does it say? What does it mean? Yeah, so the, the, the essence of the national policy statement is it's recognising the fundamental importance of the, these, you know, the, these highly productive soils to New Zealand, to our people, to, to the culture, to our economy, you know, to food production, food security. And what its key objective is is trying to make sure that there is a an appropriate planning framework through there. It's not trying to stop completely any use of highly productive land. Sometimes, you know, obviously, as you mentioned earlier, we New Zealand will need new housing. We we need to expand our cities, but it's putting a planning process into place that says, well, if we really need to use highly productive land, we've gone through and looked at all the other options first. And so we have looked at, is there you know, a large area of stony soils nearby that could be used for the expansion of this town, for example? And so it's kind of saying the highly productive land should be the last choice in terms of the, what, what we use if we have to. It's not stopping it completely, but it's, it's, it's adding that kind of, the, you know, I suppose, protections into it and the preference being that we'd use the non-highly productive land first. Once you've built on highly productive land, like, is that it? You couldn't come back 30 years later and knock down the buildings that you've built there or whatever and plant some crops and expect the same returns as if you hadn't built on it in the first place? Yeah, it's very, very hard to recover, um, to, uh, in this term we'd say, degraded soil. And this is one of the challenges that the world faces is the degradation of soil and there's various ways by which soil and land can be degraded and... Um, in this sense, we, when we're talking about urbanisation, you, you are talking about soil sealing, and there is a lot of land modification that anyone that goes past a subdivision will see the degree of land modification that goes on. So generally, once it's gone into urban use, not generally, once it's gone into urban use, it'll be, it's very, very hard for it to come back into you know, food production down the track. Likewise, if um, land gets very degraded overseas. There's, there's real issues around soil salinity. We're lucky we don't have those issues in New Zealand. There's soil erosion, structural degradation, and it's actually very, very hard once the soil is degraded to bring its productivity back up. And that's, so there's, globally there's, there's, there's major concerns around the availability of um, good food-producing land, which luckily in New Zealand we have um, some very good areas of that. This is something that uh, fruit and vegetable growers have been agitating for for quite some time. Do you think that this national policy statement is a good move, all things considered? Yes, I would. It, it, certainly, certainly, it's it's, um, and we're recognising that there is the now national policy statement is you know, part of a trifecta, I guess you could call them, of policy statements where trying to balance this, the national policy statement of urban development, yeah. the national policy station, statement of freshwater management, these, um, the biodiversity, and then there's the soil. So it's, 
it's balancing everything has to you know we got we have to make a balance about how we how we use our our land and the impacts that we have have on that and so there'll be certain um, areas that there might be really good soil but it's in it's an area where there's a very sensitive lake or there's very sensitive um you know, impacts onto water so there's obviously other issues that come into play in terms of how we'll be able to use that um, but at least it's it's balancing it is it is really balancing it up and we've seen by those numbers in terms of you know the impacts that we have had on the availability of land in New Zealand that we do you know um, we, we need to be really careful going into the future because we this is thinking not just for us today we you know we, we're managing the land for the future generations two three generations ahead of ourselves and as we talked about earlier, there's you know with changing climate and things like that, where we grow our grow our food, um, and it's going to will, will change, and it will have to move to different parts of New Zealand. So we need those options up our sleeve. It's a very interesting balance to strike, isn't it? Because it's tempting now to look back in retrospect and say, "Oh, we're such idiots for building lifestyle blocks and houses on this highly productive land that will never." we'll never necessarily be able to get back anymore. But if you go back 10, 15 years, you know, the most urgent thing in New Zealand at that time was housing. The government has today announced plans to boost the supply of affordable social housing in quake-devastated Christchurch. Auckland Council says urgent and bold action is needed to tackle a housing affordability crisis in the city. Housing New Zealanders rejecting claims that there's a low-income housing crisis in Napier. A A groundbreaking study released by Otago University today says the health dangers from overcrowded housing are much clearer than anyone realised. And so you can't really blame, you know, local authorities or government even for encouraging intense house building in a, you know, in a very, very short period of time. But I guess that gets into the idea that that you're sort of alluding to there of short-term thinking and long-term thinking and not allowing contemporary pressures to affect your, as you say, long-term strategic national assets. Yeah, and, it's, and, and it's, it, I suppose it's the balancing. It's, 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 you know, there will be the balancing of, of that and, and the balancing of um, those long-term, looking after these, uh, these our national strategic assets. In this case, it's land. There's also you know, water on that side of things for New Zealand, our flora and fauna as well. It's all part of the big picture that, we have to try and balance as we're making all types of decisions around the country. And so in this case, we, we're, we're talking about, you know, the, the highly productive land, the, the most versatile soils. Um, but, yeah, so that's, it is, it's a challenge and, and there's certainly, is, and it'll be an ongoing challenge for the country, I imagine, on that sense. Mm. Um, but, yeah, certainly I suppose there is a, there's the, the framework now in that sense that, yeah, the, the value of this, these soils are recognised and they are fed into decision-making. And I don't think it's necessarily putting an absolute stop, and I can't say much about the housing crisis because I'm not an expert in that space at all, but you know, clearly that's an issue for New Zealand, which is big and it will keep going and we need to you know, keep working on that. That's it for today. I'm Emile Donovan. The Detail is public interest journalism funded through New Zealand On Air and produced by Newsroom for RNZ. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. Today's episode was engineered by William Saunders and produced by Sarah Robson. Bonnie Harrison is our associate producer. And thanks to Sam Carrick. Matewa.